All right, well, I'm excited because uh, I was supposed to give this message about, what, four weeks ago now? <laughs> I'm going to give it. All right, so let me get started here so I have enough time. Uh, let's just, just pray with me. Oh, Jesus, we just thank you for your very presence in our lives, Lord. We thank you for the resurrection power of Christ that lives in us. Lord, that we have power over sin, Lord, that we have, we have overcome the world through the blood of the Lamb. God, and we just thank you for your presence in this place this morning. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to do all that you want to do here. I ask you to speak to each and every heart. Open our hearts and our minds to receive. And, and as the Word says, Lord, to be hearers, Lord, and, and to hear what the Spirit is saying, Lord God, to us and to the church. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bible with me this, or here this morning, turn with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, and if you don't have it, I'll have the, the uh, Scripture up on the screen for you. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but I like to actually see it in my Bible. You know what I'm saying? It, it just does something for me so I can know where to go back to and that kind of thing. So if you have your Bible, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, but uh, I've entitled this this morning, The Life of Grace. And um, I just love the concept of grace. I love the, the power of grace. Because grace is really the power of the gospel. And so I want to look at it this morning and um, just ask the question, are you living it? Are you living in grace this morning? And uh, kind of as a reminder for us. Um, first of all, in Second Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to get to that, but I wanted to say this. I felt strongly a week or two ago that the Lord was just beckoning me and beckoning us that we are a church who have the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, I shouldn't just say we are the church, but the church in general, that's what Christ put us here for, is to have the ministry of reconciliation. For those who are hurting, for those who are obviously lost from the truth, from those who are sick, from those who are dying, from those who are possessed, all of these things, God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says. And you can see it here with me. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed, now listen to this, committed to us. Everybody say committed to us. The word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. Okay, so think about, let me just stop here. Think about that this morning. It's as, if the, it's as if God is pleading through you, Rachel. Or it's as if God is pleading through Veronica. Or through, you know, anybody in here this morning. If you're our Christian, it's as if God is pleading through you to the world and saying, look to, look to this person, for they possess my very life in them. And so we have an opportunity to show them how they can be reconciled from death unto life. Isn't that true? Let's read on here. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, 
that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I love that. We implore you. You know, it's like saying, we, we, we're talking to a lost person. I, I beg you, please, you know, please do this. It's not a thing of, you got to do this or you're going to burn in hell. Or, you know, that's not what recon- the ministry of reconciliation is. The ministry of reconciliation is, man, check this out. Let me tell you about this Jesus. Let me tell you about what he's done in my life. You know, we had a guy come from Living Waters Church speak at our youth ministry, and he was at the men's, a men's meeting a few weeks ago um, named Rob. And Rob gave an incredible testimony about just from the time he was seven years old, when he was 13, he ended up kind of in a juvenile detention home. And basically, from age 13 or so to about age 24, he was in the system, the prison system the correction system. And, um, you know, for people in such a circumstance, it's very difficult for them to get out of that life. Because even though they may serve their time and get out of prison and all these things, he said it was difficult for him because that's what he was used to. That's what he knew. You know, and uh, even to this day, he said he, he takes a spoon with him to eat everywhere he goes. Because, you know, he couldn't eat with a fork in prison. So... Anyway, I'll just say that to say that the grace of God, the message and the power of grace is such that this guy's testimony was that the power of God completely changed who he was, changed his thinking, changed his heart, and to this day he's living for God and has had no other, you know, has completely escaped that trap that he was in. So that's our ministry. You know, and sometimes I don't know how much we really believe that we possess the power for someone like that to escape. Maybe it's because we know people who haven't. Or, you know, you see people, you've told them and they won't listen or whatever. But the ministry of reconciliation says that God gives us the power that we can plant the seeds and that we can water the seeds but that He will bring the growth, that He will bring the success. So anyway, I'm getting a little bit off here, but amen. Jesus said, a familiar scripture here, Luke 4, that this was His whole ministry. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And when, you know, when if I could say, when my Jesus went off, you know, He had finished His ministry here, it was as if He said to me, Matthew, this that I have been given to do is now yours. Go out and do likewise. In so many words, that's what He said to His disciples. So if the Spirit of the the Lord is really upon you, then this is the power that you have, the power of Christ in you. Amen? Now, um, about a year and a half ago, Byron uh, did a series of messages on the gospel of grace and uh, the power of grace and all these things. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember that. And uh, so I I just wrote this down here. I just wanted to read through this. River Life Fellowship was founded on the gospel of grace. Two and a half years ago, Byron asked us to commit to being a church that lives in grace. 
Byron said that we should be a revolutionary church because the gospel that Paul preached was a revolutionary gospel. It brought much turmoil and persecution. Paul suffered greatly for the message that he preached. In fact, in almost every church that Paul founded, there were Jews opposing the grace message and challenging Paul's legitimacy as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So, this is the bottom line this morning. My question is, are you living in grace? Are we, as a church, living in grace? Will we encourage others to live by grace? So, let's just take what, if you will, a grace check this morning and kind of see where we're at. And uh, so we're going to kind of go through what is grace, but before we do that, I wanted to say, if you and I, if we as a church possess this ministry of reconciliation, how are we to, to accomplish that ministry? How are we to do it? And uh, I would just propose to you that the only way to do it is by grace. Is If you yourself have received grace, then you can also give grace. Are you with me? Would everybody agree with that? If you've received grace, I'll say it again, and you're walking in the grace of God in your life, then you can give and extend that grace to other people. Um, my friend Ricky Stutz. Ricky, are you here this morning? Okay, yeah, he couldn't make it this morning. But Ricky, I just I had lunch with him the other day. And, you know, Ricky's testimony he shared here a few months ago. He was up at Teen Challenge. I don't know if you guys remember him. He was up at Teen Challenge, uh, messed up on all kinds of drugs. And the Lord just, just touched him and just... Uh, you know, just totally changed his life. But I was thinking this morning, because of the grace of God that Ricky's received, the Lord also gives him the recon- the, the, uh, a reconciliation for those who are drug addicted. That Ricky can go to them and extend the same grace the Lord gave to him to other people. Which may be a little bit more difficult for um, some of us to do. For, you know, somebody that just walks in here and just totally mess up on drugs, you know? Some of that, you know, Pharisee in us may want to say, all right, well, just, you know, get off of it, stop doing it, and that's it, you know? But Ricky may realize it may not just be that simple. And uh, so anyway, I pray that we could all have that grace, though, um, to minister to those who are drug addicted or with all other kinds of just problems that are binding them up. Um... So again, Byron said that we should be revolutionary. Are we revolutionary? Are we still committed to living in grace? And will we encourage others, even the alcoholic, the homosexual, the drug addicted, to accept the gospel of grace and to live by it? Or are we going to give them five scriptures why their sin is wrong and tell them to either stop or just hit the road. Um, Byron's been talking about the power of testimonies, and he, he said he's, he wants to preach a message on the power of testimonies. So just give you a little... A few weeks ago when I was going to give this message, a lot of people gave testimonies, which is awesome. And uh, I came across this testimony that I just wanted to share with you briefly. Um, and so here it is. My name is Tom. Three years ago I became a Christian after being in the homosexual lifestyle for about 10 years. My life as a practicing homosexual was a miserable existence. 
However, it was an improvement over what I had before. I grew up in a small Texas town where football was king and I was the biggest kid in my class. I remember being harassed as early as grade school because I enjoyed books, art, and music rather than sports. One of my uncles was an all-American football player and I knew there was no possibility of me coming close to his accomplishments in sports. So I never tried. My heart was not in it. I grew up being called queer and other bad names by many of the kids and even some of my family members. My father was distant and did not support me when I needed it. I realize now that he treated me just like he was treated by his dad, but for a long time I hated him. I remember when I graduated salutatorian that his only comment was, leave it to him to finish second. Neither was my mother as supportive as she could been, could have been. My family went to a traditional church. Many of the schoolmates who had mistreated me also went to the same church. Their mistreatment, I could understand, since kids frequently display a mean streak. However, when I was an older teenager, I found out that some of the parents, including adults that I had looked up to in the church, were also accusing me behind my back of being homosexual. That was the beginning that carried me away from the church. So to make a long story short, he went to college, still thinking that he was you know, normal, straight, but ceased going to church. Um, he got involved in a relationship with a girl, and that kind of went south. And he ended up leaving college, but then returned to college. Um, he said he didn't decide to get involved in the, the homosexual scene. It was just something that he drifted into. And uh, make, again, for lack of time, began getting into drugs, using speed and, and some other things. And uh, then finally, the Lord started working a miracle in my life. Uh, he says, a friend and lover of mine became a Christian and started sharing the gospel with me. He shared the love of Christ with me. I had, I had heard all the verses before about the sinfulness of homosexuality, but now I saw them in a new light because of the compassion of my friend. He accepted me despite my sin, and that was something I had not seen from church people before. He also shared verses about Jesus' compassion for sinners even before they gave up their sin. I especially like the story of the prodigal son from Luke 15. That son was as low as a man could get, and yet his father accepted him. I had never been accepted by my father, and I didn't feel accepted by my heavenly father. Yet here was Jesus, whom so many called the Savior, saying that his father was ready to accept a son who had wasted his inheritance on riotous living and was eating with the pigs like an animal. After several months and much time with my Christian friend, I realized he had something I wanted. I craved to know the acceptance of my father and the cleansing of my Savior. I was still heavily into speed at the time, and so the Lord had to bring me to himself in the midst of the rushing highs and the crashing lows of the drug. By his grace and preserving miracles, he did, but it was not an easy road out. It never seems to be for any man in the homosexual lifestyle. He talks about how his escape has been typical. There are several major barriers he had to overcome. And he says in the last one that the final barrier to overcome is that the Christian world tries to convert homosexuals with rational arguments 
that not only destroy one's identity, but also attack one's friends. Quoting Scripture without demonstrating love is only one other form of gay bashing as homosexuals see it. A homosexual man does not have to be told that homosexuality is wrong according to the Bible. We have heard those verses so many times we can probably quote them from memory. I think most homosexuals know deep down that something is wrong. I certainly did, as did many of my friends who have escaped and come to Christ. I have never seen a homosexual man come to Christ by Scripture quoting. They, homosexuals, only come to to Him by Christian loving. The Christian community will reach homosexual men when it undertakes the same sacrificial love that Jesus did when He chose to go to the cross. The church I attend now is a haven for hurting people. In the building, there's a conspicuous sign that says, You are safe here. My prayer is that churches across the country will adopt that same motto for themselves, then a real hope will exist for the homosexual men dying of AIDS and the others who are dying spiritually, dying in homosexuality. So, I guess my thought is, would we have the guts to be one of those churches? To say to the homosexual, you're safe here. The love of Christ beckons you. There's hope for what hurts inside of you. No strings attached. No questions asked. Just only that the same Jesus that pulled me out. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, 9? He goes through this whole list of bad things. You know, I mean, the worst things you can name. But in the end, see, a lot of people want to quote 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to homosexuals. Because it says, don't you know that the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be, de- be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. And all these people will inherit the kingdom of God. But they leave out verse 11, and such were some of you. And such was me. I was the drunkard. You know, I was the drug addict. But I was washed. I was sanctified. I've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of the living God. Praise God. The same hope exists for you if you're here this morning and you're you're messed up in homosexuality. The love of Christ is just as applicable for you this morning as it is for any other person sitting in this room. Now, as far as grace goes, um, how about your, you know, your own personal life? Do you feel like, well, here I am at church this morning, and look at Matthew. He's all Mr. Spiritual up there. He's really got it together. But, you know, I've been doing this, and I hadn't spent time with the Lord in two months, and, you know, all this. And, gosh, I'm just, I wish that I could be more holy. Hogwash. It's garbage. It's the lie of the enemy that wants to keep you from the loving Father. <laughs> and, you know, I had like three hours of sleep last night. Um, you know, with this six-week-old baby who doesn't sleep very well, and uh, Gabriel is, and Judah both have, it seems to be, uh, 
maybe strep throat or something. <laughs> you know, they're coming down one after the other. And um, to be honest with you, I didn't just jump out of bed at 5 o'clock and spend two hours in prayer before church today. Now, I know that might be kind of controversial for the, for the preacher this morning, but it just didn't happen. But I got up and I had my 10 minutes with Jesus and I said, oh, it's so nice it doesn't depend on me. The Lord can still bring revival at River Life Fellowship this morning, despite me. You know, I mean, I might, you know, I could be here, I couldn't be. It really doesn't matter. God's grace is sufficient for you. Okay, so don't let the enemy beat you over the head with those lies and that garbage. It just kind of makes me mad. I saw this, the Lord showed me this thing about Peter. And do you remember last week when Byron was showing those clips from the Passion? In Matthew chapter 26, I just want to turn here real fast because this is really neat, I thought. He, along with what Byron was showing, he showed the clip of where Peter denies Christ three times. Everybody's familiar with that, right? It's in Matthew 26, 69. And it says that now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you are, you are with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I don't even know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. He is speaking Christianese, Brian. <laughs> then he began to curse, okay? He began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. You know, may, they said, he, on the video or the movie, uh, he said, damn you, I don't even know the man. You know, I was thinking, I don't know what he said exactly. I mean, he may have even used a GD in there or something. But the Bible's saying he was cursing and swearing. Okay? Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. And here's what I saw in this. So many times, there, there's people like you and like me who are living their lives like Peter was at this moment. Okay? In other words, by their actions or by their words, everything that they're saying and doing seems contrary to what we would call a Christian. And so therefore, we pass judgment and say, I can't believe they're doing this. They can't possibly be a Christian. How can you be a Christian and be acting like this? How can you be a Christian and saying these things? While at the same time, deep in their hearts, Jesus is saying, I knew you were going to deny me, but it's okay. Just like it, I mean, would you dare say that Peter was not a lover of Jesus at this moment? Of course he loved Jesus. But his own flesh and the temptation of sin and the world and, and all this bad stuff that was going on around him affected him so much that he began to curse. He began to deny Christ. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm not saying that it's good for a person to be in that state, as it is definitely a horrible thing for Peter to go through. But what I'm saying is, if we want to be a church of reconciliation, we have to have the grace to extend to people in situations in their life where they may be 
doing things, saying things that are contrary to what we would think a Christian would do. And um, I believe through that, the Lord will call people home. I know that for the, what we would say call prodigals, you know, for those children of yours and people that we know who were so in love with Jesus but have strayed from that, deep in their heart, they still love Jesus. There is still a passion inside of them for Jesus. The deceitfulness of sin and the pull of the world has just pushed that down. So I just pray that the Lord would call them home and beckon them back. Okay, what is the gospel of grace? Well, Ezekiel 36, you don't have to turn there. This, to me, gives a real good picture of what it is. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. And, and the Lord says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, the reason I think this is grace is because grace says, the gospel of grace preaches that it's not about how good you can be. It's about God replacing your heart with His. So that all of a sudden, the things that you thought were so cool just ain't cool anymore. You know? All of a sudden, all those lists of rules that you thought that the church said you had to keep, man, I really want to do those things. That's what grace is, and that's what Ezekiel was saying here in chapter 36. Now, Paul, as I mentioned before, Paul was the, the controversial apostle. Now, you've got to remember who Paul was. He was, you know, the Jew's Jew. <laughs> he was the Jew to beat all Jews. You know, he was the student of the law. He knew it backwards and forwards. He may have even had it memorized. I don't know. I mean, Paul, you know, if you were in the Jewish community and a part of the, the Jewish uh, tradition, Paul was the man. And he was so zealous for the faith that when these blasphemers began to talk about this Jesus being the Messiah and all these things, just like we saw in the movie The Passion, you know, they were like, man, this guy can't be it. He, you know, what are you, you're just a son of a carpenter. I mean, you know... You, the, the Messiah is going to be a king and he's going to deliver us from, from this uh, Roman oppression and all these things. I mean, who are you? Paul was jumping right in there with him. He's like, yeah, who are you? You know. And then time went by and all these people began to follow Jesus and say that he rose from the dead and all these things happened. And what did Paul do? He went out there with his machete or something or in modern times like his Uzi and he started mowing them down. You know, He started persecuting, he started killing them. Okay? So that's just a picture of who Paul was. And then you guys probably know this story in the book of Acts. It records that Jesus himself appeared to Paul and just miraculously changed his perspective. <laughs> Needless to say, not only did he stop persecuting and, and killing Christians, but uh, he became one. And uh, what he hated worse, he became because he had a revelation that Jesus was indeed the Messiah and was who he said he was. And so he went away for about three years. He said he didn't have any contact with the disciples or anybody in the church telling him about the way things were or anything like that. He just went and basically spent time with the Lord for about three years. And then he came back and he met with a couple of the disciples and it appears he went again for a number of years 
for kind of a preparation phase. And then he came and he began to uh, preach this message to people, to the church, that was really controversial. And because the people in the church who had accepted Jesus as being the Messiah, they still had this little remnant, okay, these little, uh, you know, voices, people in the church who were saying, all right now, you might want to believe that, but don't think for a minute that just because you're a Gentile and stuff, you don't have to be circumcised. You know, don't think for a minute that you don't have to keep the law of Moses to the letter, you know. That's the way it is. I mean, it's been, it's been that way for 1,400 years, okay, so... Let's not get off base here. These were the back to the Bible folks. Okay? Paul started coming in saying, Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. You don't have to be circumcised. You know, and salvation doesn't come by keeping the law either. What? That was pretty controversial. And Paul took a lot of heat for that. And so what I want to do is just briefly look at a few passages in Galatians. And uh, seven lessons from the gospel of grace. I know if you're looking at your watches, i got seven minutes, so that gives me one a minute. Okay, here we go. Seven lessons from the gospel of grace. Any other gospel other than grace is a perverted gospel. That's what Paul says. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Okay, so study study Galatians and see what he says about grace. Okay, and see if it's really the truth and then don't believe anything else. Alright, because that's what Paul said here. That's what God is trying to tell us. Number two, Paul's revelation of grace came directly from God, not by talking with other Christians. That's how it must be for you also. I could sit up here and talk to you about grace all day long. Byron preached on it for four months straight if you were here a couple years ago. But still, there are probably those of us who don't have a real revelation. And that's because God never intended for you to get it from me or get it from Byron. He intended for you to get it directly from Him. By the way, that's how all revelations should go. Go to God. Get your revelation. And then be encouraged by what the pastor preaches on Sunday and by what you study with other Christians in in your small groups. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Okay? For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Moving on, number three. This is Christianity 101. Okay, just a reminder. You are not made righteous or justified by what you do, only by believing in in and accepting Jesus' sacrifice. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall ever be justified. So if you're here this morning and maybe you've never been here before, you've been in church and you thought, well, if I go to church three out of four weeks of the month, then I'll get to heaven. I'm a good person. 
That ain't it. Look at Galatians. Number four, if you could earn salvation by doing good things, then Jesus died for nothing. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in, or literally of, the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. Please don't do that. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And I don't know about you, but what I saw in that movie last week, and I've seen before, I don't want that to be for nothing. You know what I'm saying? That was a mighty big price to pay. Number five. This is Christianity 102. Okay? Most people know this, but a lot don't choose to walk in it. You are not only saved by grace through faith, but you are also sanctified. Okay, that's a Christianese word. What does sanctified mean? It means uh, made holy, set apart from sin unto God, made a good Christian. You, you know, you're also sanctified by grace through faith. Well, can that really be true, Matthew? Well, let's see what the Word says. Paul really got on to him. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, in other words, having been saved or having been justified by the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? That phrase, being made perfect, is the same thing as being sanctified or being made holy. Don't try to make yourself holy by your own self. It don't work. How many people have tried? Yeah, everybody. We've all tried, and how many people say, don't work, don't do it? Don't work. Let's not try it, okay? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing by Abraham. Doug's got a whole sermon on that. He's going to preach one time <laughs> for that. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, I know I'm rolling here, and I'm sorry if you're not catching all this, but just sum that point up again, number five. Just the plain truth is, you just can't do it yourself. Obviously, those of you who have been Christians for a long time, you know that you couldn't save yourself. You got that down. But just be reminded, you can't live for God by yourself. 
You can't love your wife by yourself. You can't parent your children by yourself. You can't love your neighbor by yourself. You can't have the heart of compassion to go out and pray for healing for people by yourself. It's got to be the Spirit of God that you're just walking in. So number six, some of us accept the gospel of grace, but then add a bunch of rules to follow in order to live or walk out the Christian life. Isn't this what Paul is scolding them for doing? Let's look and see. Tell me if you think so. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Verse 10, You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. So I believe what Paul is saying here is, you know, you guys are caught up in all these, like, days, and there, there's this month that you've got to make, you know, you got to do this, and, you know, all these things that maybe have been traditions for years. But Paul's saying, you know, listen, I told you there's something more than that. The living Christ lives in you. You don't have to do it on your own. You're trying to find favor with God by what you do. This is another translation, by the way. I just like the way the Living Translation said it of verse 10 and 11. You're trying to find favor with God by what you do or don't do on certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. I'm afraid that all my hard work for you was worth nothing. Number seven. The, this is interesting, okay? I really like this one. The entire purpose of the gospel of grace is so that you can love and serve someone else. Did you get that? That's the whole point. Just like Jesus' purpose statement. For those of you who like the mission and purpose statements, you know, the Son of Man, it was this, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. That's why grace was extended to us. Isn't that good? For you have been called to live in freedom. Not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. That's not freedom. But freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if instead of showing love among yourselves, you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. I could go on that one for a while. Now... I'm going to stop right there. And much to my chagrin, this message that's taken me um, <laughs> four weeks to, uh, to preach, I've gotten halfway through. So <laughs> we'll believe for a part two to this thing. And, and I think part two is a very essential part because I think part of the controversy of the gospel of grace is a misunderstanding of the gospel of grace. It's a lack of revelation about the gospel of grace. Paul says, Shall you sin then that grace shall abound? Absolutely not. For that, I mean, I'm just paraphrasing him. For, you know, that would not be grace at all. You're just going to end up back in slavery. You're going to end up back in bondage. So don't think for a moment, don't leave here today thinking that, well, Matthew's practicing this greasy, you know, he's preaching this greasy grace thing and people are just going to go out and take that as a license of sin and blah, blah, blah. Well, there's always a risk in that. 
in preaching grace, but that's absolutely not the gospel. It's not the gospel of grace. Let me just read this in closing. The whole point of the gospel of grace is this. The loving God who desperately desires a passionate relationship with you wants to reveal His love to you through Jesus' sacrifice. Once you have that revelation, He wants to replace your desires, your wants, etc. with His. Suddenly, all types of sin lose their appeal. From that point, as we yield more and more to the Spirit of Jesus in us, the more we become like Him and the less we yield to sin. Grace is based on a love relationship between you and the Father. Sin will always have its consequences, but sin will never separate you from the love of your Father.